Welcome to the Disruptive Entrepreneur Podcast. What does the word disruptive mean to you? It means going beyond the ordinary, going beyond the status quo. Not thinking in the conventional way, not just sort of following the herd. Disruptive means shaking things up, you know? Disruptive entrepreneur is somebody who sees the problem and embraces the problem with a new way. Shake up and awakening. Quality will take care of itself and you'll go from being disruptive but also profitable. When you use your reservoir of talent, when you love what you do, then you disrupt. Mix it up, change it up, and dominate. And now, your host, eight times best-selling author and double world record holder, Rob Moore. Hi, it's Rob Moore here, and welcome to the Disruptive Entrepreneur. Now, I think you'll find this interview very interesting. It's with Michaela Peterson. She's Jordan Peterson's daughter, and while this interview is about her, of course, a lot comes out about Jordan. His epic rise to fame, perhaps his slight fall, their terrible health issues as a family, what Jordan's epic rise to fame did to them as a family, kind of behind the scenes. She's, of course, his daughter, but she's also his manager, so that sort of dynamic we discussed. She's on this kind of very extreme diet which she swears by and we discuss that from all sides and a lot of things that are going on in the world right now she's i think you'll find her very wise and i think this interview will surprise you hello it's rob moore here and welcome to the disruptive entrepreneur podcast i'm very excited privileged to have michaela peterson here and michaela thanks for giving your time and um having a chat with me today oh thanks for inviting me on so uh, a pick up on something you said before we went live, you're, you've, um, you've not been home since the 4th of Jan. So you can probably see behind me, we've got our two meter tape. We've got all the social distancing. I'm in my office at the moment. So we've got all this paraphernalia we have to set up. So um, you haven't been home for five months. How's that? Uh, it's a bit exhausting, actually. Um, like once you have the ability to travel, when, you, when you're not able to travel, you think traveling's great. And then if you have to travel for months, it's kind of exhausting. I definitely miss my, like I'm staying in a really nice place right now and I'm really lucky to be here. I'm in Florida. Like there's a pool. It could be significantly worse given the fact that we're in a pandemic. But like I miss my dark two-bedroom condo in Toronto with no balcony like quite a bit. But oh well, say la vie. It's, it could be significantly worse. So we'll probably talk a bit about the lockdown because I think we can all learn from it. But um, obviously, most people know you as being Jordan Peterson's daughter, but I don't really want to focus on that so much. So who are you when you are not in the shadow of your dad, Jordan Peterson? Um, well, what I've been doing, so my main job is actually working for my dad. I'm running his company. He has a number of online products and um, I have people working for me, scheduling him. and it's that's full time. That's over full time. Like I'm, I work all the time, but then kind of on my side of things, um, I mostly focused on diet and lifestyle. And that's because I've had a really dramatic transformation regarding my health. Um, I was incredibly ill and my dad wrote about it a bit in his, um, book 12 rules for life, but I was, I was really, really sick. And I don't, I never had like growing up. I didn't think I want to be, I don't even know what you would call me a food social media person. Like I didn't want to do that. It, like even the word gluten-free made me angry. Like I, I just wasn't interested in the whole diet sphere of things at all. But then um, I had such a transformative experience that it was like, okay, well, I have to talk about this because if other people were in my situation and they, they can get out of it, learning from what I learned, 
um, then I felt like I needed to talk about it. So what I do is I kind of spread around awareness about the diet I'm on, which is I call it the lion diet, but it's a, it's an all beef. It's basically an extreme elimination diet. So I kind of spread awareness about that. I'm writing a book. Um, I'm actually starting a podcast that's coming out on Saturday. Um, so I'm doing that kind of social media stuff for myself and then obviously running my dad's company. So that's me. And how has your work life changed um, since your dad kind of exploded and the volume of work must have just gone through the roof? Well, I wasn't working for him before that. Like, right. um, he, he was doing everything himself and then my mom was helping him. And then kind of after I started working for him January 2018. So I think that was right before the, I could be off by a year. So I'm not sure, but I think that was right before the Kathy Newman interview. It was either that, or maybe that was 2017. Anyway, I started working for him when things really started exploding because he was getting invited onto podcasts and he was saying, yes, he says yes to absolutely everything, literally everything. So my mom was just going, okay, and scheduling these things in. And then he was going to be appearing on some of those like four o'clock in the morning radio shows, the conspiracy radio shows. And I was like, no, 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 we need some sort of filter. Please let me help. So, um, and he was overworked, right? He was working like 14 or 15 hours a day constantly. And so I said, no, we can get rid of like some of these shows, focus on these things. So I was kind of telling him what to focus on. And then he started performing live. So initially before we got help, I was booking theaters. Um, I started all his social media channels. So yeah, work was insane. And at that point I had a six month old. So I was at home, um, on my computer. So it was kind of convenient that way, but, um, it was crazy. I've never, I mean, it's gotten worse. But at the beginning there, when I was, there was a huge learning curve on, on how to do things. Like I've learned a lot about how to kind of manage somebody. And um, it was a lot. It was a lot of work uh, starting January 2018 up until now. Okay. So I'm writing some stuff down here because I think there's some interesting stuff that's come out of this. So you said it's gotten worse. What had gotten worse? Well, um... I wouldn't say worse, but I guess when you learn how to do some things, then you can expand. And the amount of opportunity, like these are weird things to talk about because it's not like I'm complaining. So just remember that. But the the amount of opportunity uh, when you have a social media following is endless. Like you get invites on podcasts all the time and there's just, you get business opportunities thrown at you. And before you're used to that, if you're kind of if you're kind of a smart person and you get a business opportunity you kind of jump on it because yeah. maybe the especially if the risk is low then maybe it'll blossom into something huge so if you're the type of person that's used to jumping on everything it's hard to figure out what not to jump on so i guess it's gotten worse because well not worse but more difficult because the dad's i don't know what to call it dad's business has grown um I've taken over more and more and more, and he's stepped away more. Um, and then we've had health, serious, like deathly health problems in my family for the last, it's been solidly every day for the last year and a bit. Um, so 
that's made it difficult too, because trying to manage a business on top of like that is very difficult. Yeah. And you said um, you learned a lot about managing someone because it's almost like you were, you never planned it. You helped him out and all of a sudden you're managing a big empire, really. Let's be honest, a one man empire. That's a bit of a baptism of fire. So what did you learn about managing someone, especially as they're a family member? Um, well, it's tricky because like normally you'd say probably better not to work with family. And that's true on one hand, um, because the relationship is a bit strange, but also my dad, he's agreeable, but also really stubborn. So if I see a decision that's being made, that seems wrong, um, I seem to be one of the only people that will argue with him until it's actually figured out. And if he was working with somebody who wasn't family, they'd just say, okay, like, yes, sir. Um, we'll do that. And some of, some of the decisions, like he's good at making decisions, but um, we needed to switch book agents at one point because the deal he was getting for his book wasn't good. So he was getting screwed over, but he was like, no, I have, you know, I've worked with her for a long time and I feel bad about leaving. And I was like, well, this isn't about feeling bad, right? This is, this is a business opportunity that you're missing out on and you're being taken advantage of. And it was like six weeks of really intense arguing until he was like, okay. And then it, so it depends. I think you need a. I think you need a lot of stress tolerance to be able to work with family, and I think there are definitely upsides, but there are downsides as well. Which is, you know, whenever you meet up, what you talk about is work. But but that was happening beforehand anyway, so it didn't make much of a difference, honestly. And if someone else is in the position where things have gone a bit wild and they've got to kind of learn on the job, but they don't get a chance to learn before, maybe a bit like you. What tips would you give them on managing someone and managing a, a big workload? I mean, I, I have a lot of entrepreneurs that follow me, Michaela, and a lot of them are overwhelmed. And for similar reasons of your dad, by saying yes, yes, yes to everything. Because here's the, here's the paradox. You don't get any opportunities for years. You wish you had them. And now all of a sudden you get loads and you don't want to say no to them. Yeah. And the problem is sometimes if you take one, it actually means you don't take a better one, right? Mm. So you really do have to decide what you focus your energy on. Um, tips, you can't do everything yourself. I had a very difficult time learning this because sometimes you give a job away and somebody does it and you think, well, I would have done better, but you don't have enough time to do everything yourself. So try and hire people that you can work with. Um, and I've been talking a bit about instinct, which I know is kind of a hippy dippy thing, but I think instinct is what your brain comes to when it looks at all the patterns that you're not consciously aware of because your brain processes a lot of information. Sometimes you don't understand what you're processing. So I would say hire based on instinct. Um, and I like the way I hired was I did hire based on instinct, but I also hired based on personality. So my dad has a personality assessment. And um, if you can hire conscientious people, those are the people who are most likely to actually follow through with what they say. Like if you get caught when you hire somebody agreeable, but low in conscientiousness, you'll get someone who says yes to absolutely everything and doesn't actually fulfill anything. Mm -hmm. um, so looking into personality, I've found really helpful, uh, high in conscientiousness and preferably low in neuroticism if it's a high stress environment. And I'm not particularly low in neuroticism. 
unfortunately, but I manage because some of the other personality traits combine, make it okay. But I would say high in conscientiousness and then go based on instinct. And then there are a number of productivity apps that I use that I wish I had known about at the beginning when I was working. It's more recent, but they've really helped me keep track of everything. So yeah, I guess what, those are some tips. What are the best apps that you use and what are they for? Um, have you heard of Tiago Forte? No. So he's a productivity guy. I can't remember the book he wrote, but uh, he has a blog that's really informative and he has a way to get to inbox zero, he calls it. So instead of like, I was constantly starring emails and leaving them unread and kind of sometimes linking, like copying and pasting them into Google Calendar so I could just try and keep track of things. And um, now I use Evernote because you can set up Google so that you can forward emails to Evernote. I use Things, the app Things, which is an iOS app, um, but I like it better than Todoist. And you can forward emails straight to Things and it'll put it in a to-do list for you. So then instead of having your inbox um, working as a to-do list and a calendar and all these things it shouldn't really be, you can forward emails to the right uh, place, a to-do list or for references and it's a lot easier to keep track of things. So Evernote, Things, is there any other one? It, mainly Evernote and Things are my like, real go-tos. Yeah. Okay, thank you. So you've been able to see uh, growing social media channels in a big way and have a lot of business opportunities. Uh, and a lot of my um, followers... You know, they want to leverage social media. They want to build their personal brand. They want to know how to take the right business opportunities, partnerships, collaborations, sponsorships, you name it. And you've got a lot of experience now in that in a very short period of time. So what would you say is the best use of social media for business when it comes to monetizing it and maybe brands and collaborations? Um, well, you can get a lot of followers on Twitter, but the conversion rate on Twitter is really bad. So Twitter isn't the greatest way to get sales from my experience. Um, I use Instagram mainly. It depends what you're going for, but I would definitely have profiles on every social media platform you can. Like definitely don't avoid one. Um, I haven't come to terms with TikTok yet. I don't know if that's actually useful. It probably is. And people are, make, are making lots of money off of it, but we're not using TikTok. But other than that, um, Use every platform you can and don't annoy your audience. But I don't know, like some people, it depends. I'm annoyed really easily. So when I'm spammed with annoying ads, it bothers me and I'll unfollow. So I try not to annoy your audience. Um, it really depends what you're going for. Like um, the way my dad's brand, it. I think, I don't know if that's a great question for me because my dad went viral from a number of videos and so he already had an audience and he he didn't his kind of grew naturally and he didn't have a lot of things he was selling at the beginning like well he had his old products he had the understand myself and self-authoring that he sells he's had that for like 30 years but um he wasn't actually trying to sell much she was actually mostly getting donations so i'm probably not the best person to ask for that and then because i make 
my main source of income is working for my dad. I don't make I don't make a lot of money on social media. Um, I'll advertise some products that I like, but that's probably not the best question for me to be honest. Okay, that's good. That's fun. Um, so you are you look like you're building your own brand, starting a podcast soon, which is exciting. We'll have to shout that out on this show. You've got your blog, obviously. Uh, you get to oh, yeah, yeah. you get to be a voyeur on your dad's social media, which is I'm, I'm sure you're going to be able to um, borrow some lessons from there. So, what's your own personal brand strategy or plan? Where you know where do you want to take the work that you do? Um. So my goal, my my short term goals are I, I want to put out my book, and I've been working on this since I was 17. So it's like a long time coming. It's been like 11 years. Um, that's a long time to write a book. You'd think so. Yeah. I just keep adding to it. It's it's kind of autobiographical about what it was like to have an autoimmune disorder and how I got over it. So it's taken a while to solve that problem before I could write about it. Sure. Um, but what, where, where's my brand direction going? I'm hoping to focus on kind of just human optimization, I guess. I'm really interested in what experiences humans can go through to better their life. Um, so like friends, I'm, I think this podcast could be popular. I'm hoping. So I'm trying to learn mostly. It's kind of a selfish, I guess maybe most podcasts are kind of selfish, but I'm like, well, what do I want to learn about this week? Maybe I want to learn about, I don't know, mold toxicity. And then I go grab a mold toxicity expert, or maybe I want to learn about silent retreats that people go on and what that kind of thing is like. So I'll grab one of those. So I'm trying to look at um, human optimization, but my main focus is on diet. And that's because I think that in order for somebody to optimize their health, that's the place they have to start. Um, it's the easiest place to start. It's where you can see the most dramatic change. And that's where I started. So my, my brand, whether or not I like it, it's mainly diet. Sure. On that note of selfish nature of podcasts. I think that's a good thing to discuss because I don't think there's anything wrong with that. If you're going to spend your own time, surely you're going to want to do something you're going to get personal benefit from. And you, you'll end up being what, episode 510, something like that, Harry? 500, you know, so I know, you know, Joe Rogan's done a few more, but you know, there's not many people who've done 510 episodes and at least, at least 300 of those I've got some selfish benefit from. I've learned, I've met some amazing people, learned some stuff I didn't know before. And then I think if you're in that position of selfishly getting benefit from it, your passion, your enthusiasm is going to come through. Therefore, the loyalty of your audience is going to be um, important. I have taken risks on my podcast and interviewed people I'm not sure I liked or I'm not sure I wanted to interview. And that doesn't always work out and doesn't always go well. So I, I what am I saying? I guess I'm saying I agree with you and I'm saying it's okay. And I'm saying if anyone's listening and they want to create content and they want to build channels and they want to build their brand, you're allowed to do stuff that is sort of selfish for you because... Well, you should too, yeah. probably. Yeah. 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 You, you shouldn't do things you don't like. Unless, it, unless it's to challenge you. Yes, that's yeah. true. You know, this like, exercise is different. Yeah. Like, how do you know you don't like something if you haven't tried it? And what if you, what if, so I interviewed Jordan Belfort recently and I didn't really want oh, to. Cool. Yeah. yeah. I, mean, oh, I think that's cool. Yeah. Hey, look, it went really well. 
for different reasons for normal shows, but I didn't really want to. And there's a few reasons. It doesn't really matter. Um, but I think we had a poll and out of 500 and something people that voted, only five or six said no. So I had to do it because, yeah. you know, because my audience wanted me to. And it's a chance to challenge myself and interview someone who, you know, look, the guy's been to prison. The guy's fraud, frauded a lot of people and that's a reality. And then I'm yeah. giving him this massive platform. It's like, I'm going to get some shit for that. Yeah. And I'm also good friends with someone who had a massive spat with. So that's a difficult one. Oh, yeah, that's tricky. So it would have been easy to go, I'm not going to do that. But then I think I got a lot more out of doing it than not doing it. Yeah. I know. I was thinking I, I came across, I don't know. Oh, oh. So I had Aubrey Marcus on my podcast and he was in a non-monogamous relationship for a really long time. And so I was, I was thinking, well, who are people who are like non-monogamy experts? And I came across this one woman who wrote a paper on why everyone should be non-monogamous. And I was like, well, maybe I'd have her on. That could be interesting. And then I watched some of her videos. She had a TED Talk. And I was just like, whoa, that one's going to be tricky. Like that, that's going to be, I don't even know if she'd, she'd agree to come on. So I'm definitely tempted to do the same thing, have people on where you're like, I, you know, I don't really agree with anything you say, but then you can still have an interesting conversation and you don't want to shy away from people who don't agree with you or you just get caught in a spiral of people who agree with you and then you don't learn anything. Yeah, I agree. Um, and challenge yourself. You, you know, you don't, you don't learn if you don't challenge yourself, do you? Hi, it's Rob here, interrupting you with something you may not know about me. I was one of the few people on the planet hand-selected by Facebook to pilot their new supporter program. It's a very small premium model where you can get exclusive content and advance notice or discount of new products and services. So this is what I've done for you. Not only can you get best discounts for any training that we might run, not only do you get notified first of any launches we do, we also do supporter meetups, supporter dinners, supporter WhatsApp groups where you have a, a deeper community. I do supporter only ask me anything. I do supporter only content and podcasts. We have a community of 2,500 supporters and I'd love to give you the chance to be one of those. I believe this is the best supporter program in the whole world. Find me a better one, but I don't think you will. So the link is bit.ly forward slash Rob Supporter with a capital R. That's bit.ly forward slash Rob Supporter with a capital R. I believe the gap between free content and paid content is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. There's a lot of free content out there that's maybe not that good. And for just a few dollars a month, you can get the best content on business, on entrepreneurship, on starting up, on scaling up, on sales, on marketing, on the mindset of being an entrepreneur. So go to bit.ly forward slash Rob Supporter with a capital R right now. Cool. So you've talked a lot about health in your family and how hard it's been. Can you take us on that journey a little bit? Obviously share what you want and hold back what you, you don't want to share. But I think this is a big part of your story, isn't it? It's driving your brand. And obviously it's not just because you're interested in it. It's because you've actually overcome some serious health issues yourself. Mm -hmm. Well, so my family's health issues, my mom was diagnosed with this extremely deadly, extremely rare cancer and given like eight months to live last um, April. And that just destroyed, you know, it was like, well, it just destroyed my family. 
It's like, hey, this perfectly, she appeared perfectly healthy. And then it was like, you have eight months to live. And it hit my dad the hardest, obviously. But it it just, I've never felt the way I felt after hearing that. It was crazy. Um, and she managed to, she's in remission. Like, she's okay. Which literally nobody thought was possible because the statistics are, we 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 searched everywhere. We did all the research we could, and it was like you have no chance whatsoever. Nothing helps. Sorry. Um, and she she's in remission now. So thank God for that. But it just like just destroyed my family for a while. And then my dad was taking benzodiazepines for like a low dose for this autoimmune problem we have and anxiety. And he'd been on them for a couple of years and his dose was increased when mom got diagnosed and it, he had a terrible response to the dose increase and then ended up having a dependency and couldn't get off of them without, and he's in the category of people where it's like the doctors are like, yeah, 5% of people or have this much of an issue body wise getting off of these. And so then we had to, the reason I haven't been home is because we had to bring him to Russia because, and it's like, why go to Russia? We're in, you know, we're in North America. We, people in North America think that they have the best everything in the entire world. Um, and a lot of those people just haven't traveled. And I'm very fed up with the healthcare system here, but it's like, well, why go to Russia? If you love to travel like me and you understand the power in escaping the money for time exchange trap, but you just don't know how to do it, then building an Airbnb consultancy business could be exactly what you have been looking for. Right now in the UK, there is a completely untapped opportunity through helping struggling Airbnb hosts by turning around their underperforming properties and generating you huge commission payments in the process. We are going to teach you all of the tools and all of the techniques that we've learned over the last five years through building our very own multiple six-figure Airbnb business, arming you with everything that you need to swoop in and save the day. Minimal startup costs, zero risk, and almost unlimited potential. Sound good? Welcome to the Airbnb Consultant. Contact us through any of the channels included in the studio notes to get the conversation started. And it turns out Eastern Europe has a lot of, they actually have a lot of facilities that are really good with not uh, neuro rehab, um, like actual brain damage. A lot of things that aren't FDA approved in North America are FDA approved there. Uh, Ibogaine treatments are legal. Uh, they have something called xenon gas, which isn't FDA approved here. So they're actually leagues ahead. So we went there and they actually helped him. Thank goodness, because we tried for a year to get him help here. Um, but it's been pretty stressful. And I'm writing all this down, too, because it's just been wild. Like, I feel like my life is like watching a movie. Sometimes really terrible things happen. And I think, well, it'll make the book more interesting. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that that was the last like year and a bit with my family. And then in regards to me, it was like it's been my entire life. I was diagnosed with juvenile rheumatoid arthritis when I was seven. And I had symptoms like years before that. Um, and then my health problems just kept compounding um, until 
I was basically forced to figure it out or really have no life. So it's been a wild ride over here in Peterson land. <laughs> and how did you figure it out? Um, I, so I got to the point by the time I was 22, I'd been diagnosed with juvenile. They changed juvenile rheumatoid arthritis to juvenile idiopathic arthritis, which just means like idiopathic is just like unknown. So juvenile idiopathic arthritis, idiopathic hypersomnia, um, severe depression, um, bipolar type two. Um, and so those were the actual formal diagnoses, diagnoses. And then I ended up getting this itchy, blistering rash. And I was 22 and I was like, you know what? I can't do that. I can't do the arthritis, the mental disorder, the idiopathic hypersomnia, and this rash. This rash was just like too much. So I started researching and researching and I, I started researching because the rash kind of started when I was 19 and it just got worse and worse and worse. Um, and so I started just reading as many scientific articles as I could read. And um, I switched out of psychology and went to university for biomedical science because I figured I was going to have to get some sort of PhD in order to figure out how to cure myself. Um, and I came across some articles linking celiac disease, which is an autoimmune disorder, and gluten to the itchy blistering rash I had. And this was, it took me three years to find this stupid rash. And I finally found it and I thought, gluten, oh my God, there's actually evidence that gluten-free could be good for people. So that was, that really took me, spun me for a loop. And then I thought maybe cutting out gluten would be the answer to all of my problems. And I was sadly mistaken, but it helped a little bit. And then kind of randomly, I thought, well, I'll go on an elimination diet just to get rid of the dietary factor. And all of my doctors said diet had nothing to do with it. But I this was kind of before like paleo and keto, people have heard of them now, but in 2015, people didn't really know about them and you couldn't really Google it. And there weren't groups on Facebook or anything, or they weren't easy to find. I, I hadn't found any. So I cut out like anything I thought people could be allergic to. So the main allergens like eggs and shellfish and wheat, um, although I'd already cut that out. Uh, so I went like to a list of about 17 foods for a month and saw dramatic changes in my health. And mainly it was like my stomach shrank, like my bloating went down. And I thought, I didn't even know I was bloated till I tried that diet, which was mainly meat and certain root vegetables and greens. And I was just like, whoa, okay. So I'm wearing pants that are, you know, two sizes smaller in a month, even though I've lost five pounds. That doesn't really compute. Um, and then I tried to start reintroducing foods, and that's when things got really weird. Like, um, at that point, I'd stopped taking the immune suppressants I was on for the arthritis so that I could monitor the flare-ups properly. Because uh, I figured I didn't want, like, drugs dampening down my immune response, or how was I supposed to tell if I was reacting to something? So I started reintroducing things, and it was just horrible. I'd reintroduce something and it was stupid at the beginning. Like I tried to reintroduce sour patch candy. That was the first thing. He's like, you try cutting, try cutting all like carbs like that and sugar mm. and see what kind of cravings you get. And at one point when I had my hip and ankle, I had my hip and ankle replaced when I was 17 from the arthritis. Like this wasn't like my knees were sore. This was serious life ruining arthritis. And I took Oxycontin for a year to deal with like not killing myself from the pain. And getting off of that was brutal. 
but it was about, it was about six weeks of withdrawal. And then about two years before my brain recovered, I felt, um, and cutting sugar was way, it was different, but it was way more intense. Like, um, the, it, I guess, I guess that's not exactly fair to say because if eating sugar is so much, is seen as so much less bad than taking more Oxycontin. So there was, Anyway, so I cut out sugar. It sucked. I tried to reintroduce Sarah Patch candy. I had an autoimmune response to it. So I stopped that. Then I tried to reintroduce almond butter because I was tired of cooking everything. I used to eat out all the time and um, had an immune response to that. And then I tried to reintroduce soy and I went absolutely nuts, like nuts. I thought, great, now I've made myself more crazy than I was to begin with, which was not ideal. And so I spent a couple of years going up and down trying to reintroduce things. And at, the reason I'm on an all beef only diet now is because after I had a baby, so I have a two and a half, she's almost three now, um, uh, almost three-year-old girl, um, my tolerance for foods disappeared and I got desperate and I went to all beef and I was not happy about it, but I thought, if I can have a diet that's one variable, then I don't have any other variables to worry about. And I can do this as scientifically as possible. Um, and it took like six weeks and I saw a pretty big improvement, all beef. And then it took about five months for my anxiety to go away. And then I've been on that for the last number of years and I seem to be getting less sensitive thank goodness, because doing an all beef diet for my entire life isn't ideal. It's not the end of the world. It's a hell of a lot better than having an autoimmune disorder. But, you know, I like cake. Everyone likes cake. So um, that was like a long rant. But that's a bit of the background about my health problems and why I'm on an all beef diet. What fascinates me there um, is the... A, discipline, and B, the testing mentality. So I wrote a book called Start Now, Get Perfect Later. Um, and really in that book, I talk a lot about trying things and testing things as opposed to dismissing them or overly worrying and getting perfect. Um, and it sounds like you basically eradicated pretty much everything and then started reintroducing it bit by bit to test each variable to eliminate and be able to isolate that thing or things that, um, you know, triggered your health issues. And I, I really admire that approach because I think that's going to make you win in business. I think that's going to make you win in relationships by just having a mentality to try things and then what works, do more of it and what doesn't, do less of it. And it sounds so, yeah. sounds so simple when you talk about it like that. But people have all these yeah. fears and phobias and addictions and everything else start now, get perfect later and just start testing stuff and see how it goes. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, it's really, I get so much flack in the media because it's like, Oh, all beef diet, like snake oil salesman. First of all, I'm not selling anything like eat beef. It's like, what's anyway. <laughs> <It's a bit>. um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That confuses people, but it really is like, it's really easy for people who aren't in a good place in life to sneer at what you do and say, you know, oh, you should be doing things differently. But it's like, don't take advice. Honestly, don't take advice from someone who doesn't look healthy. That's one thing like that I've learned. And I, I used to not think that way, but 
part of the reason people follow other people on social media is because they want to be like that person. So if you don't want to be like the person that you're taking advice from, don't take advice from them. Um, and yeah, an all beef diet sounds ridiculous, but it really has gotten rid of my autoimmune and mental disorder. And the mental disorder was brutal. I'm not on any medications. Um, I don't have cravings. It's really easy. Like I use an, everybody listening, if they take one thing away from this, buy an air fryer. I swear that that's it. An air fryer saves you so much time. So I put it like a frozen steak in an air fryer, flip it once. And then I have food. It like I spend maybe on prep, I spend maybe two minutes a day on food prep. So if you're looking for like productivity hacks, going like low carb, meat heavy and buying an air fryer is that. So there are a lot of grocery shopping. It reduces grocery shopping time too. Um, so that, so there are, there are other positives about the diet, but removing all the variables you can to try and figure out your health problems is the main one. Mm. It just, it makes sense. So I feel like I need to say this. I'm not really challenging this in any way, Michaela, but because I remember listening to Jordan talk about this on Joe Rogan, I think his last interview he did on Joe Rogan. And I remember because he, he just started to try it based on your recommendation, I think. And I remember thinking, wow. And it reminded me of someone who's very famous. I'm not going to mention his name, who um, cut all meat out of his diet probably like 25 years ago, would go around the world telling everyone about it, and he only ate fish. And then he nearly killed himself from mercury poisoning from just eating oh, fish yeah. for 25 yeah. years. And that just came into my head. That was just one worry I had. You know, like maybe in 20 Long years, term. might you have overdone, you know, I guess you're going to test, aren't you, and see if in two, three years other symptoms come along. Well, I've been on this. It'll be three years in December. Um, so it's been a while. My vitamin deficiencies that I had previously are gone, except low vitamin D, which I think has something to do with the underlying autoimmune problem. But my zinc deficiency went away, which isn't surprising. Um, so I have no idea. I mean, I feel really good right now. And I do trust my body to tell me if I'm doing something wrong. Um, like if I eat, sometimes if I eat lower quality meat or meat that's aged wrong or something, like I won't, I react to pretty much everything. So I'm not worried about it, but I could easily be wrong, right? I've been wrong before numerous times. Um, I've seen a lot of people with autoimmune disorders recover from this diet when they've tried everything and mood disorders. Um, and I have also talked to a lot of people who are on the carnivore diet who tried to eat all fish. And one of those people, and he only eats beef now, one of those people, he just decided it to see what it was like. It's like, oh, I can survive on only beef. Can I survive on only fish? So he ate fish and it took him eight days and he started, he said he started turning blue. And this is somebody like he's, I trust him that he's not making it up. He's like, yeah, I tried it for eight days and like I started turning blue. So I stopped it's like yeah, It's probably, probably a good idea. So I don't know. I mean, it's been, I know people who've done it for, I think the longest person I know she's done it for 18 years and she had Lyme disease. Um, 
which I was also diagnosed with and forgot because once you're diagnosed with more than three diseases, you lose track of them. But um, she had Lyme disease and has been successfully using an all beef diet to treat it. And it's been 18 years and she has kids and everything. So I guess time will tell, but who knows? Yeah, I just felt like I needed to say, I figured you'd got your head around that. But, you know, I just figured I needed to say it. So it's um, worth the potential risks, right? I don't have any alternatives right now. Sure. And also, it's not going to catch up on you, is it? It's not going to be like, oh, one day, you know, everything's one, broken yeah. again. It's going to creep up on you over time. And you, you and then you could think, oh, OK, I might need to test something else. You can, like you said, trust yeah. your body. Yeah, or a supplement. Although I have managed to reintroduce fish with no autoimmune response. And two years ago, I couldn't do that. Mm. Um, so like, I do think that over time uh, I'm going to heal, I'm assuming it was some sort of gut problem. I have no idea. Um, so that's the hope. Okay. So something I, um, get the sense you've learned to do very well, and I'd like your thoughts on this is manage a lot of things, serious health issues for yourself, serious health issues for your immediate family, new baby, your career managing your dad, building your brand, doing podcasts, you know, that's a lot of stuff. And again, that's, yeah. that's something I love to talk about because it's really common for disruptive entrepreneurs, you know, people who want to make a success of their life, they're balancing a lot of things. So how do you manage lots of things going on in your life and basically not lose your shit and stay cool and stay ordered and prioritized and sane? <laughs> Oh man. Um, it's a battle. It's a battle. Like I have a tendency to, it's the same as my dad and it's the same as anybody I think who's really trying to make it or who is already making it is I have a tendency to overwork. And if you have a tendency to overwork, you have a tendency to avoid other things that actually improve your life. Like, um, if I didn't have any self-control, it's a weird thing to say, but if I didn't have any self-control, I'd wake up at like seven 30 in the morning and I just get on my phone and work until like 11 30 or 12 and then i would just repeat that um yeah. and then i would miss out on i'd probably exercise a little bit but i'd miss out on family life for instance yeah and i'd probably end up being 60 looking back on it and thinking wow what a moron um so how do i manage it i'm not um that good at it but luckily I've had some help. So my husband is, he's not that good at it either, but he's really good at it in regards to me. So he can tell when I'm overworking, it's like, you have to stop. You have to slow down. We have to go outside. We have to go for a walk. Like we have to spend more family time together. Um, so have people around that are really good for you so that they can keep your head on straight. Because if you have a tendency to overwork, you need people being like, why are you working for 14 hours a day? Mm. Like do something else. That's not good for you. Um, I also have a friend. His name's Chris Williamson. He has a podcast that's really good called Modern Wisdom. Um, I don't know about the title. I don't know how I feel about the title, but it is really good. And he got me into having a morning routine. And that's been amazing. So instead of getting up and looking at my phone, I'll get up do 10 minutes of med meditation, which isn't that long. Like people can really manage 10 minutes, 10 minutes of meditation, um, you know, 30 minutes of exercise and just getting that done in the morning completely changes my headspace for the rest of the day. So I'd recommend 
trying to make some sort of morning routine where you don't immediately dive into work and having people who are good for you around you. Yeah. And has meditation helped you? I've tried it a fair bit of times. It's, I, I, I've yeah. still got, I think I've got to work I, at it more. I, yeah, I kind of like, I hate it. I kind of hated the idea of it. And I don't, it's like, I could be doing things instead of not doing things. And that idea really bugs me. But if you're constantly doing things and you need, you can't do that to your brain. You can't constantly do things. It's too hard on you. Um, so I thought, you know, I can, I can not do something for 10 minutes, right? That's not very long because you, you think meditation, oh, I'm going to have to sit there and like close my eyes for two hours. That's no, I'm not doing that 10 minutes you can do. And I found it. Yeah. Really helpful for anxiety. But like I said earlier, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm really volatile. And so it helps dampen that down. Um, unless you interrupt that 10 minutes and then that's a problem. But I would recommend it. I would recommend getting better at it. Um, I, and I use Headspace, which just makes it super easy. It's this like calming Australian voice. <laughs> and um, you can use a man or a woman. And it just guides you through. It's simple. It's like fill your body up with gold light. And it sounds super hippy-dippy. But having to focus on that for 10 minutes really does calm your brain. And then you can kind of go into the day instead of starting it in a frenzy, go into it calm. And it's helped me a lot. So I'd recommend it. Okay. Thank you. Um, I, I am not a political guy at all. And I don't bring any politics into really what I do. But there was one thing that fascinated me because I don't think it's just political. Um, and from what I could see, it seemed that you pushed quite hard for the country to be reopened. You think that the country should be reopened rather than, you know, locked down forever. So um, do you just want to talk us through that? Yeah, well, initially, I w it's not like I was like that at the beginning. We had no idea what we were dealing with. And I'm not an epidemiologist. Um, not that I really trust epidemiology, but um, we didn't know what we were dealing with. So I think shutting things down, getting everyone to wear masks and keeping people home until we had more data was not an unreasonable thing to do. Because what if we were dealing with something more infectious? Like we, we don't know what we're dealing with. We don't know what the, you know, fatality rate for people, you know, 15 to 35 was. Um, but now we have some data. It's been three months, right? And it turns out the, fat the fatality rate really isn't as high as we thought it was going to be. The fact that we haven't tested most people that are asymptomatic, because why go get tested if you're asymptomatic, um, means that the mortality rate that we were given is vastly overstated. And people, people like to say, oh, look at all the lives we're saving without actually looking at all the other statistics. So the increase in suicide and the increase... I like I had a mental illness. I know what it's like to be miserably depressed. And the increase in mental illness has been horrible. The increase in the number of prescriptions given out for antidepressants, anti-anxiety pills, which means benzodiazepines, which are very dependency forming, um, and sleeping pills, which are also dependency forming, that's skyrocketed. We don't know how many problems that's going to cause in, you know, three or four years to how many or how many people's lives are going to be ruined that way. Um, and it's really easy for people who are still getting paid and sitting at home and being like, okay, well, I have savings and I'm, my job is fine. And it's easy for them to be like, where, you know, stay at home, just, just wait. But what about the people who are like, you know, hairdressers or hairdressers or nail salons or waiters 
who actually need the money and aren't making it now, right? You know, like no one's looking at those people. They're just saying, oh, you want to reopen the country? It's because you want to kill people. Like, no, it's because I don't want all the people who you aren't taking into account to continue to suffer, yeah. right? And I don't know. I think, I think that the dangers of the disease from what I've read are not as big as the dangers of shutting down the entire world. And now that we kind of know that, like, let people who want to go out, out. Let people who want to stay home, stay home. Like, if you have a big company, don't make people come into work. Say, it's fine. Stay home if you want to stay home. Just don't, like, don't force people to do anything. And it, it's people, like, it's people who are, you know, above 80 that are really at risk. And a lot of them, like my grandparents, really don't care. They're like, look, I'm, you know, I'm 88. I'm going to die of something. Like I've lived through a number of pretty serious like health scares and I don't want to stay home for the rest of my life. Like screw off government. So yeah, it, it made me annoyed because people kept reaching out. I had, I had one person reach out and their son had a panic attack and needed to be institutionalized for a few days to keep himself safe. And I had another person reach out, his brother, brother-in-law committed suicide. And these people are already people who are, you know, at risk, but putting anyone into the middle of a pandemic and telling them they can't go outside without catching coronavirus is going to put even a stable person on edge. So yeah, I'm not, I try not to be particularly political, but I think this is really stupid. Yeah, I do think we should listen to people who have got a lot of experience in economics as well, not necessarily in government, but, you know, very, very well educated people in economics, because I think the economic impact of not having a, a moving economy. Oh, man, that could be huge. How, you know, how many yeah. jobs could be lost? How many companies could go under? How many suicides could come from that? Um, yeah, well, well Every, every, I don't have the proper statistic, but every 1% increase in, in job loss increases the suicide risk by enough that I'm concerned that the job loss suicides will possibly be worse than the coronavirus deaths, right? People don't look into like, why isn't anyone looking into that job loss suicides anyway? Yeah. Yeah. This is not good. And we, we, we kind of know what the virus is like now, and it's not as fatal as we thought it was going to be initially. So better get things rolling as fast as possible, I think. Did you see changes in your dad, Jordan, as he um, got in the mainstream media, went on that journey of exploding positively and also all the, the criticism and hate that he got? Was that an evolutionary process that you saw? Uh, yes and no. No in regards to what he talked about, right? Like he's, we've always had extremely philosophical discussions. So that, that didn't change at all. But the stress uh, hit hard and it hit my whole family really hard. Um, and it's just hard. Like if, as a human being, if you're on Twitter and you have a whole bunch of people throwing a lot of hatred at you, it hits you, right? And there isn't, you know, if you're in a really good place, you can kind of laugh it off, but like it still gets to you. So the stress was really hard and we had to actually have a serious talk with dad and like get off of Twitter 
It's not good for you. There's no positives here. Like, um, so right now he's tweeting things, but he ha- um, he ha- he's sending them to somebody to tweet so that he doesn't look at responses and things because the stress was too hard. So what changed? The, the way he talked about things didn't change. Um, the amount of frantic work he did, it went up, but he's always worked a lot. Um, but the stress was hard on my whole family. It was hard on my mom. Um, it was hard on everybody. So yeah, stress changed, um, but how he is didn't really mm. that's just what that's just what he's like and people ask is he different like is the jordan b peterson we see online the same as he is at home and like yes it's the same same thing did you manage to build up some resilience um i've found as my online criticism has gone up i've managed to transcend so something that used to upset me 10 years ago now i find quite amusing They've been calling me Chewbacca because the beard I've grown since the lockdown, who's a you know a big hairy Star Wars character, and that would have upset me 10 years ago. Now I just think it's funny. And I can definitely say being online a lot has built some resilience and some ability just to go, ah, well, whatever. Some, like you said, something still might get through. Have you and your family built that resilience, learned to deal with criticism and trolling better? Have you got any effective ways? Yeah. Um, I don't know if I have effective ways other than practice, like horrible practice, but, um, yeah, initially, I mean, dad's response to a negative news article, it'd be, he'd be like, well, I didn't say that like there, I didn't say that those are blatant lies. And now I'm getting a whole bunch of pushback and he'd be really upset. So I'd be like, don't read the news, like just yeah. trying to avoid this. Um, so by the time the kind of negativity hit me with like, you know, snake oil salesman's all beef diet, whatever, uh, <laughs> I had one article and it's like her, what did they call it? I don't know if it was like apparent arthritis or they were like doubting the arthritis. It's like, guys, I've got literal joint replacements. This isn't an argument. Um, so that by the time it kind of got to me, I was already used to it on my dad's front. So it was kind of entertaining. Um, and now when there's a negative article about my dad, he doesn't care anymore. So definitely practice, but I don't really have any ways other than try and focus on your fans. Like you have to focus on the ratio, right? And even with dad, the ratio of positivity was so much bigger, but it's so easy to ignore that and just say, well, but, but this guy said that. And it's like, yeah, but you have, you know, 10,000 other people who say you're doing something good. Just try and Mm -hmm. look at the ratio, but it does take practice. Well, to not read the news or if it's quite vitriolic to get someone else to post your social media for you and, and not read the yeah. comments, that's, yeah. that's, a, that's a coping mechanism, isn't it? Yeah, okay, that's true. Yeah. Um, at the beginning, maybe if it's super overwhelming, yeah, don't like wake up first thing in the morning and read all the negative articles about yourself. Yeah. Probably better yeah. to not do that. Like right. it's not a good way to start yeah. the day. Yeah. yeah, that and then, yeah, I guess posting other things to social media. I tried doing that for a while, but I didn't stick with it. But I tried hiring someone so that I didn't have to look at comments because you don't really need to. Like, it's not that useful business wise. Um, It can grow your audience a bit. Um, I think especially maybe when you're I don't even know what the stats are for that. Like, do you need to? I think responding to comments is good business wise, but to a degree. So, yeah, Yeah. I guess I do have some mechanisms, but Mm. So I have a Facebook account manager and she says, she said to me, um, focus on your supporters first. You know, they pay your top fans mm. second. 
And if you've got 500 comments, you can't go in and comment on them all. We get that. So focus on your top mm -hmm. fans and your supporters. And she's saying that from a, a, a practical Facebook point of view. But then I also read that wider. Focus on your top fans first. Don't focus on the one idiot. Yeah. Um, and, that's, and that's, I think, because actually I think it is good to, personally, I think it's good to reply to comments. Here's why. One, I think it does help the algorithms for the reach, if that's what you're looking for. Um, but two, it, it, it's great. I think social media is social. And so I don't really resonate when I follow people and they never comment in the comments because they're not being social. They're just going, wow, look at me, bye. Wow, look at me, bye. Yeah, it is interesting to see the responses. And I enjoy responding to mainly people. What Who I try, like my rule for what I do, um, dad got so overwhelmed that it was like, you know, focus on writing, focus on content producing. Like you don't have to go back and forth. But his reach, he's like, is huge. Um, my kind of rule for myself is I get a lot of direct messages, mainly on Instagram is what I look at. And if there are people who I feel are kind of similar to this in a similar situation to his, what I, wow, that grammar was terrible. But uh, if they have horrible autoimmune disorders and they're like, Hey, I'm really thinking about trying this. Should I try? And all they need is a little bit of a push. I try and get to all of them. Because I don't know what kind of, I, because I've seen what kind of difference it can make from just a little bit of encouragement because the diet that I'm pushing is so extreme and so unorthodox that they have a lot of people around them going, are you nuts? And it's like, but what difference does a six week try make if you're dying from an autoimmune disorder, right? Like the downsides there are not very high. Um, so I try and get back to everybody um, who messages me who's really sick. That's kind of my rule for getting back to people. Yeah. So you've got a strategy for filtering, basically, because I think that's wise. You know, if you just go in and open your inbox and just start try trying to reply to them all. Um, too much. Yeah. And then if you don't, if you have a rule that some people do, you don't reply to any. Well, it's not really very personal, is it? Yeah. And there is an upside. Like I've, I have a per personal upside with, well, I feel bad if I don't respond to some of the like people I think could really benefit from the diet. And then also from a business standpoint, I tend to respond to people who have a certain number of followers and up. And that might sound bad. I think I use 10,000 as a cutoff. Um, and it sounds bad, but if you form those relationships and then want to produce products later, you can help them push theirs and they can help you push yours. So yeah. I guess, yeah, my rule is 10,000 and up mm. and really sick people who I think could benefit from the diet desperately. Yeah. I don't think that sounds bad at all because I think you have to have rules. And you've seen firsthand with your dad, if you say yes to everything, it can literally send you into stress oblivion. So I, yeah. I think you're allowed to have rules. And, and you know, I'm I, I probably not to the same level as your dad, but I get a lot of messages. And I used to, I always used to say for years, I'll reply to everyone. And then people find that out about you and then they start demanding things of you and have the, having some entitlement. So they said, not if you're entitled and that's a rule, not if you're rude and that's a rule, you know, and, and you, over time you can create rules, which is a filtering process. And, and then that keeps you sane. Yeah, yeah. No, th those are good. Um, I tried that. I get people messaging me and they're like, she never comments on this or she never does this. And it still kind of irritates me. It's like, I'm really swamped. <laughs> like, I'm really swamped. But it's hard to understand. It's funny. Like I was in university and I was trying to juggle the diet and everything. And I was like, I'm really swamped. You always think you're really swamped. 
And then he, he, it turns out there's, I don't know how swamped you can get because I'm, I'm sure like, I'm not at a, I don't know how much worse it could get, but like, I, I feel like I'm, I'm at capacity, but it could be worse. Yeah. So, so this is fascinating because, um, I spoke to Derek Sivers who, um, did a really good Ted talk and he was on the Tim Ferriss show a few years ago before I actually had my podcast. And it's not that particularly huge in, in fame, but I didn't care. I loved, I just loved listening to him. I thought one day I'm going to get him on my show. And I got him on um, a few weeks ago and we had a great chat and we've started to get to know each other, which for me is the greatest gift of the podcast. I always try and you know, build a yeah. rela relationship and, and, and who knows where it leads. And he said, after he went on the Tim Ferriss show, he had 8,000 emails in his inbox the next day. And I was like, what? That, you know, so I, I don't get 8,000 messages. But he said he's done loads of business, um, business, he's been on loads of podcasts, and he actually ended up having an intimate relationship with two of them. Um, and I just thought, that is awesome. Wow. And this is the wow. thing, you know, so like, if you don't respond to any of your messages, you might be closing opportunities. And yeah, yeah. Yeah. And um, another chap, a billionaire I interviewed um, this week called Tim Draper, he says he always gives his email address out. He's had the same email address for 30 years. And it's a bit of a nightmare because he gets thousands of emails. But he says, I also oh get God. I also get all my companies to invest from those emails. And they all come to him and he doesn't have to go and seek them out. And he, find, he finds the next Hotmail or the next investment in, you know, Skype or uh, whatever through those um, emails. So. People see all this massive in inbox as the curse, but in there are all the blessings as well. Yeah, I know. It's really difficult to navigate. I have three inboxes. I've got my like personal one, and then I have the one I work for, my dad, and then the one I work for, like what I'm doing. And I've been seriously like this Diego Forte guy I was talking about earlier. He says, get rid of them all and just put everything into one because you're checking them all anyway. Mm. Um, I was just using it as a way to like sort through things. I'm not sure if it's effective or not, but yeah, it's really hard to decide when to stop because if you stop, you lose opportunity. And if you, if you don't stop, then you can overwhelm yourself and then you can also lose opportunity. So and also you, figure out how long are you going to be relevant? You know, so if you, if you're surfing the wave of, you know, notoriety or success, well, how do you know, like a rock band, your next album might be a flop and then you're gone. That's what, see, I think I have a bit of a different view on that. That's what my dad thought. He's like, I went viral. Like, I'm going to jump on everything right now because I don't know where I'm going to be in two years, right? Mm. And I think with social, and that does happen, like one hit wonders are a thing. But I think with social media, and maybe I'm wrong, but I think with social media, because you end up getting a following, if you have you know, 30,000 people following you and you disappear for a while, I think what happens is they wonder where you went. Um, and I think because we have this ability to have followings on multiple platforms that once you get to a certain, I don't know if you call it level of fame or whatever, um, I think people will wait. But I think the one hit wonder thing, once you hit a certain point, isn't as serious as it is for rock mm. stars who produce one song, but I could be wrong. That's just my gut instinct. Like dad was worried because he hasn't been around for like a year. He hasn't produced new YouTube videos because he was producing one like every two days or something, three days. Yeah. And he's like, all my fans have forgotten about me. I was like, no, they haven't. <laughs> like period. They're just waiting. Yeah. Um, so 
I don't know. That's my opinion anyway. Yeah, I hear that. Um, Michael Jackson used to um, hide himself away on purpose, you know, for a while to build the desire back up for him. Because I suppose yeah. if, you, if you're everywhere all the time, you're maybe a bit of a commodity. Maybe. And oh, my God. I mean, I'm, I'm not, you know, a huge fan of the Kardashian-Jenner crew, but the way they play their audience is incredible. Like Kylie Jenner hid. She didn't do anything for a year. And then she became like maybe the most famous person after she reappeared. So nothing for a year. And then boom, I had a baby and I didn't tell anybody about it. And it's like, oh, no, everybody knows who Kylie Jenner is. Mm. Right. So I think hiding away for a while and then coming back. Yeah, is useful. I like mm. that. I didn't know that about Michael Jackson. That's cool. Mm. Yeah, I think they figured that out. I mean, everything Michael Jackson did in terms of his production, his music was very meticulous and surrounded himself with the very best people, producers, musicians. I'm really, really into all kinds of music. I mean, I like rock and metal as well as kind of Michael Jackson, but I've got quite a nice stereo at home. Um, it's about a quarter of a million pounds it's cost me, so it's a nice hi-fi. Um, oh, and and nice. When, when you put Michael Jackson on, Jesus, man, it sounds amazing. It is the best. And you put... Um, um, Super off, off the Super wall, Super you put Super off the wall on, which is I think his first solo album, and the recording is unbelievable. And I know people have thoughts about him and stuff like that, but transcend that and think about the music. It's so meticulous and detailed, and like I'm listening to a 41 year old recording, and it sounds like I'm in the studio, and it's just amazing. Oh, um, that's really cool. I'm yeah. Realize. Right. So um, this. Uh, this is a question I don't want to ask, Michaela, and I'm going to ask it because I always challenge myself to ask a question I don't want to ask. Um, and now I've probably built it up to be something that's not really that big, but, but let's do it anyway. When I was doing the research for the questions, um, and I, I don't always do a lot of research, but for you, I did do a lot because I didn't want you to feel like I was just asking you about your dad the whole time. I just didn't want you to feel that. And if it came out, fine, but I just didn't, I wanted it to be about you. Um, and there's a lot of bikini pictures of you, a lot. And I, I thought, I have to ask you why. Is there a play? Is there a strategy? Is it, why is there so many bikini pictures of you? <laughs> um, a little bit of a play and a strategy um, because I'm not, <laughs> I'm not really a bikini picture type of person, but they get way more engagement <laughs> than any of my other posts. And I mean, I don't mean like, a little bit more. I mean, it's not twice as much, but they get way more engagement than all of my other posts. It's like, okay, that's hard to argue with that. Um, mm. So that that's the main reason. And then the second reason is I'm really proud of the work I've put in with my body um, because I was really dying and I'm really not. And I'm getting older, but I'm getting stronger and I'm getting healthier. And it's really encouraging for people to see. It's really encouraging, I think, um, for women to see. When I was pregnant, for instance, so I was pregnant and I was really worried that I was not going to have an attractive body after I had a baby. And that was a really big concern I had because it's something I think every woman worries about. And I bounced back mainly because of diet and really because of diet, because my underlying health is not good. And so I think putting up those pictures has also helped some women think, oh, I can have a baby and I, I'm not screwed. Mm. So there are some reasons behind it. Um, the other reason I would say is it sells the diet. 
Like I, I never got sold on transformation picks because I always thought they were frauds. That was my just gut instinct was like, that isn't true. Um, but most of the people I think that are persuaded into trying this diet are persuaded because of the transformation picks. So a lot of people, it actually works on, it didn't work on me, but it works on them. So those, those are the reasons behind the bikini picks, engagement and selling the diet and giving sick people hope that they cannot be sick. I'm glad I asked it now. <laughs> so we do the quick fire now. We, we always do, we have all unique questions, but then in the end, which is coming up, we have five quick fires, although you can take as long as you like. And we ask the same question to every guest. Um, okay. So the first one is, what's the best advice you can ever remember receiving? Well, for some reason, the one that pops into my head right now is advice my dad gave me. And it was, don't be, be friends with people who want the best for you. Um, so I think that's the best one I have, which is just, and I mentioned it a bit before is surround people, surround yourself with people who are good for you. And what's the worst advice you can remember receiving? Actually, I think that was probably from my uh, dad too. And <laughs> it, um, it was, you know, think, and this sounds like it would be good advice, but it's like, think things through really intensely kind of before you do something. And I, I used to do that all the time and ignore all of my gut instincts. And I really think there's something to not ignoring your gut instinct. And I addressed that earlier too. I think it's your brain's ability to take a lot of information that you're not conscious of and come to a decision without you being able to logically explain it. So, yeah. Okay. Thank you. Is there one particular thing that's wrong with the world that you'd like to change? Yeah, and it's what I'm trying to change through. I mean, I'm biased trying to change it through diet. I think that we don't put enough focus on diet. So if somebody's sick, they say, well, we'll treat the symptoms with some pills. It's like, just look at lifestyle. And, and people assume, oh, but my problems are so severe that it can't be what I'm doing. And it's not like you're doing something wrong, right? If you're eating something you don't know is inflammatory for you, um, it's not your fault exactly. But there, I wish there was more emphasis on trying to change people's diets before treating the health symptoms by masking it with medications. Hmm. If there was one person that you think I should get on this show that you would want to, you would stop everything you're doing to watch, who would that be? I find Elon Musk pretty entertaining. That's going to be a tough one, though. Um, I, I think you should have, like, my, I think Chris Williamson, my friend, you, sh you could have on. Um, you're going to hate his Instagram. It's just him. It's like the bikini version of a male. But, <laughs> but like, he's smart, and he's helped me a lot with my mornings. So that'd be a good choice, I think. Okay. I'm going to add a little one to this. Um, so... I have been trying my best to make my show be more balanced with more female guests than we've had because we've probably had a, I don't know, what would you say, 80% 80, 80 men, maybe 85? And it's not through want of trying, Michaela. Um, no, it's I, men are more interested, honestly. Because he's interested, I think. Oh, well, as in, in being on a show? Yeah, I, th I think being on a show and also... In, I don't know what the statistics are, but, and maybe I'm biased because of my dad's audience, but I would say there's a lot more 
men involved in kind of life discussions. Because mm. I've tried to get my head around this for ages because um, we, we find it harder to get women guests. Um, and they also, and I'm, I got in trouble for saying this on LinkedIn. I got quite a lot of hate for this. Um, so I'm going to try and say it in the right way. And I think I said it in the right way, but we've had more rejections from women. That's fine. Um, pound for pound. But we've had them let us down a lot more as well. Like cancel three times, four times, five times, six times. Um, say yes, then say no. And I don't know if there's anything in that. But I kind of feel like I kind of feel like there's this bit of a movement in the world that's saying more women, more women, more women. And I feel like, I feel like I want to shout going, I'm trying for fuck's sake, I'm trying. And it's, it's not happening. And then they pull out. And, you know, I don't want to mention names because that's not fair. But there's two or three women pulled out like five or six times. And by the way, they'd be brilliant. Yeah, there's something to that. I, I really think it's as simple as if you look at women's personality and there are differences between men and women and some my dad went into this and got a lot of flack some women have personality traits that are more masculine and i tend to be in that category like but um women are higher in negative emotion and i think it's as simple as that so they're higher in withdrawal they're higher in volatility on average um so they're more likely to be anxious and cancel so right. i mean it, if you can come across an interesting you just just base it on who's interesting to I'm not I'm not doing the whole man and woman thing at all. I'm looking for people I want to talk to and and that's it. And I've right now mm. I think I've done I haven't done I've done under 10 podcasts because I'm literally just starting, but the mo I think 7 of them are men. Yeah. Um Suzanne Vanker is really cool. Okay. You could get her on. Suzanne Vanker, she does um differences between men and women and how she thinks relationships and families should be split up. Um, and she's very into, you know, women stay home with your kid because they need it and that's your job. And I'm not nearly as focused on that as she is. Like, I think there are different roles, but she's, she's cool, but she's pretty like forward. And I would say she's got masculine personality traits too. So yeah, I think there's something to it. It's probably neuroticism. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. I'm, and I'm, I don't think a man could say that without getting in trouble. So I'm glad you did. Um, but no, I haven't particularly, I'm the same. I'll go for someone I like or is interesting or, or whatever, but it is getting to the point where it's quite imbalanced. Um, and I don't want it necessarily to be that way, but yeah. So this podcast has the word disruptive in the title. What does that word mean to you? It's negative to me. Mm. Like a disruptive means something that comes into something that's been organized and changes it. And I would say like just off first glance, I would say changes it in a worse way. That's just the feeling I get from the word. I'm not entirely sure what the exact definition of disruptive is. It probably doesn't have any negative connotation, but it definitely has a negative connotation in my head. Mm. I mean, could you argue that all change has a positive and negative equation attached to it? Yeah, I mean, I can see the positives in it, the disruptive entrepreneur. And in order to, yeah, yeah, I agree with that. It's just like from first glance, I would say it's has a negative connotation. But I mean, I'm disruptive, I guess. I don't think I'm negative. <laughs> so um, tell us about your podcast. This sounds exciting. 
I'm really excited about it. It's given me like because of this pandemic, you're stuck inside. I'm a really extroverted person. And and I kind of, because I went to Russia with my dad, I've really been under something that's similar to social isolation since January 4th. So it hasn't made much of a change, but I've been able to get a lot of my extroversion out by talking to other people over the podcast. Um, and I'm hoping I can bring guests on and have, like, I'm not worried about, talking about any topic um i'm not going to shy away from things and i think because like fortunately i think because i'm female i well i don't know i think i get less kickback than a man would just because i have the the woman thing going on so i think i well for instance i can broach some things about the differences between men and women nah i still get kickback like it's still pretty bad you still get put into the category of people that i don't know what kind of people but um I'm trying to bring people on the show and have conversations that I'm interested in about things that people don't normally talk about, um, ranging a lot, a lot in nutrition, um, lifestyle, productivity. Um, I brought a couple of people who are really into um, psychedelics, which I've also delved into. So just kind of want to address everything, see if people enjoy it. It's called the Michaela Peterson podcast and it's coming out Saturday. Tomorrow, I'm really, really excited. Perfect time then to do this episode. And your your name is spelled M I K H A I L A. Is that right? Yeah. 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 Because in England, yeah. in England, we spell it Michael with an A on the end. So I just want people to well, be clear. Like everywhere it does that. I like I had to get the fancy spelling that nobody could Google. So yeah. when I when I, I bought I bought MichaelaPeterson.com a really long time ago, and I was like, that's never going to work. So I also bought Michaela, like Michael A. Peterson, like Michaela Peterson. I just bought everything. It's like $17 a year. Just bought everything that directs back to it. If, if people <laughs> misspell my name. So spell it however you want. Yeah. It's still going to work to direct you to the website. And then the, the social media channels that you think we should follow you on, what, what, what are the one main ones um, you use? I'm mainly on Instagram um, at Michaela Peterson, um, YouTube, Michaela Peterson videos, um, yeah. and Facebook. I have a page, Michaela Peterson, and I have a couple of groups on Facebook for people who have autoimmune troubles and want a community to talk about them. Um, and, and then everything's obviously on my website. Like most of my writing, I haven't written in so long because of how busy I've been with family health, but generally I write articles that are pretty, that I like, <laughs> I think they're cool. That's at MichaelaPeterson.com. Mm. Michaela, very grateful for you spending what we did an hour and 15 minutes, I think plus in the end. So, um, I've had fun. I hope you enjoyed it and thanks a lot. I did. Thanks for having me on. 